Debbie Smalley and the Smalley family, I want to thank you for your kindness and support in the form of cards, letters, and phone calls, and especially your presence here today. They mean so much, and we are grateful. We're here today to honor the life of an exceptional man, 
who was a father, a husband, a friend, and a colleague. Richard Everett Smalley was born June 6, 1943, in Akron, Ohio. He died October 28, 2005, after a six-year battle with cancer. Dr. Smalley is survived by his bride, Deborah Sheffield Smalley, two sons, Chad Richard Smalley and Preston Reed Smalley, two sisters, Linda Rings and Mary Jill Olson, one brother, Clayton Smalley, two stepdaughters, Eva Clubber and Allison Clubber, and one, grand, one granddaughter, Bridget Burkhalter. I'd like to read a passage from the Word of God, a passage that Rick particularly enjoyed. Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night, so that you may, may be careful to do everything that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not fear or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the life of Richard Smalley. Lord, I thank you for what he meant to all of us here, each one of us in a special way. But Father, I thank you most of all for that transformation that occurred about a year ago, where in his life, he opened his heart to the light of Jesus Christ. And Father, for what that decision will mean in the light of eternity. Father, I thank you because this day he rejoices before you. Thank you, Father, for your great mercies. You are a gracious God. Father, I pray your blessing to be upon this day. In the name of Jesus, amen. About a year ago, I invited a man to Rice University. His name is Hugh Ross. And Rick, even on Wednesday, last Wednesday, when I went to his room, the first thing Rick said to me was, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he's risen from the dead. And then the next thing that he said is, thank you for bringing Hugh Ross to campus last year. Rick devoured every book that Hugh Ross wrote after that meeting. And he would come to me and he would say, you've got to read this one, Jim. You've got to read this. He was fascinated by the writings of Hugh Ross. And he often at, would call Hugh and talk with him. Hugh has come to be with us today. Well, as Jim has pointed out, I'm here because this these men behind me, invited me 16 months ago to ask if I'd be willing to fly to Houston to answer a Nobel laureate's questions about science and the Christian faith. And I knew ahead of time that Rick was a stickler 
for scientific credibility and integrity. I expected him to besiege me with questions about biological evolution or about Bible passages that he presumed were in conflict with science. What I learned was that Rick loved to research frontiers of knowledge that few before him had ever probed. The thrill of Rick's life was to explore and to invent. You know, others have asked me about God's purpose in creating the universe and humanity. Rick already had perceived that if God does exist, he must have more than one purpose in creating. So we talked about God's seven different purposes in creating the universe. In light of these seven purposes, Rick wanted to know exactly what we humans are supposed to do. He wanted to know why this God that created the universe would grant us free will. He had already concluded that there was no resolution of human free will and divine predetermination within the dimensions of length, width, height, and time. And he asked me if the extra dimensions implied by string theory and general relativity provided possible resolutions. By the way, they really do. We discussed God's plan for ridding his creation of evil and how we humans benefit from the evil that we now currently experience. He asked about the purpose of mass extinction events in the fossil record, the purpose of death, the reason for our short lifespans, and what life will be like in the new creation. Now, most scientists I know allow peer pressure and their specialized research endeavors to divert them from probing the most important issues of the cosmos and of life. I found this especially to be the case with Nobel laureates, but Rick was different. He had the humility and the courage to pursue the big truth questions regardless of personal costs to his reputation. Later that day, Rick and Debbie attended my evening lecture at Rice University on dark energy and the destiny of humanity. He sat in the second row, furiously taking notes, and he asked the most insightful question of the evening. A couple weeks later, I got an email from Rick where he explained how he used those notes to craft what I knew to be a much superior talk. And he gave that talk before a thousand students at Tuskegee. And those students gave Rick a rousing standing ovation. Rick made an important discovery that day. And let me give you a little bit of background. As many of you know, Rick is not only famous for discovering the buckyball and for developing nanotechnology, he is even better known in political and educational circles for alerting our leaders to America's science education crisis. Now, Rick and I were both children during the Sputnik era. At that time, America spared no expense in raising up an army of scientists and engineers. I recall that my high school physics teacher was paid twice as much as all the other teachers. And thanks to a Texas millionaire, I and a few other high school students in Vancouver had the privilege every Thursday of hearing seminars and many Saturdays of doing experiments with the leading science faculty at the University of British Columbia. But what I remember most about that era 
was that scientists saw science as a potent tool, a tool that not only could probe the secrets of the cosmos, but also solve many of the outstanding problems in sociology, philosophy, theology, and religion. This aggressive application of the scientific research captivated the general public at that time and attracted swarms of promising youth to pursue science careers. I was one of those. Today, we have sanitized science. We've made it impotent by pretending science has no capacity to put to the test the important questions of sociology, philosophy, and religion. Consequently, we're making science education boring. I think that explains a lot of the crisis we're facing today. And I know from my conversations and emails with Rick over the past year that this last year of his life was his most thrilling as a scientist. In his words, he learned that, quote, he need not throw his mind away when reading the Bible, end quote. The Bible made him an even better scientist and a more inspiring science educator. Three months ago, my wife wrote to a theoretical physicist and a chemist on her mailing list who knew Rick personally to ask them to pray. She wrote, quote, we want Rick to live, but more importantly, we want what God wants, end quote. Rick was only 62. With another 30 years, he could have done great things for his newfound savior. But like the young prophet Stephen that we meet in the book of Acts, could it be that Rick's untimely death will bring about an unimaginable spiritual breakthrough? The death of Stephen led to the conversion of Paul and Paul's authoring of 13 books of the Bible. I believe in this auditorium are dozens of men and women with the courage and the humility of Rick Smalley to take up the baton that he left at the end of his life, a baton I believe he has passed on to us, a baton of being willing to seriously ask the big questions of life, of having the humility to submit to the truth about God revealed both through the record of nature and the words of the Bible, and of having the courage to make science exciting again by publicly standing up for the multitude of new scientific reasons to believe that there is a God who is created, a God who knows our fallen condition and desires to rescue us if only we would ask. Thank you.
Rick Smalley. What a guy. He was a visionary leader, groundbreaking scientist, a passionate teacher, a mentor to thousands of people touching lives around this globe. We all know Rick as the Nobel Prize winning nanotechnology rock star from Rice. <laughs> you can read more about him in the New York Times or the Chronicle or any scientific journal or magazine that tracked his power-packed career. But I knew Rick in a different way. I knew Rick Smalley as a man who was passionately in love with his young bride. I knew Rick as a man who was lovingly devoted to his sons, Chad and Preston. I knew Rick as a man who was tenaciously fighting cancer until he literally breathed his last breath. And I knew Rick as a man who was courageous to seek strong after truth and to embrace that truth and to proclaim it from the mountaintops, wherever field he might find it in. Clayton, Rick's older brother, wrote a letter. It says, Dear Bro, I just looked away for a second, and when I looked back, you'd gone. It wasn't your turn yet, not even close. And I know that no one has ever was ever more reluctant than you to go. No one ever fought more fiercely to stay and to fulfill his many missions than you have since that day in 1999 when you first learned the grim diagnosis. In the more than six years since then, you have set for all of us, family, friends, students, colleagues, an amazing example of quite unflagging courage, confidence, optimism, modesty, and grace. I might add a fun sense of humor as well. Since that day in 2000, when you call me with the unbelievably loving and generous proposition that I leave frosty Minnesota and join your household in sunny Texas, I have had the blessed opportunity to get to know my brother again, to take some small part in your research, to present, to be present as your scientific insights were born and flourished, and to learn firsthand the high regard in which you were held by all who, knew, who know you. These five years have been among the best in my life. And I thank you for them. I will always remember that day in the early 50s when our family was on vacation at the Lake of the Ozarks. The lake was only a short distance from our cabin on a bluff over the water. For some reason, you decided you wanted to jump into the water from the bluff. Dad and Mom were reluctant to permit it, but you insisted. Imagine that. So Dad brought a boat to the base of the bluff so that he could be near for an, any emergency. I stood beside you on the bluff and jumped first. Let's just say my jump was not a thing of beauty. I then looked up and I saw this little kid standing 
ramrod straight, hesitating. I don't know how high the bluff was, probably only 15 feet or so, but from below it looked so much higher. And you look so small. Before I could say anything, you said, Oh, who cares? And jumped, entering the water as straight as a board, and bobbing up immediately. When all had collective heart failure, but you were unfazed and proud as punch. We didn't know it then, but that courage was only a hint of things to come. You've enriched my life in a million ways, little brother. You leave a hole in my heart. But when today's agony passes, the hole will gradually heal and be replaced by pride and priceless memories. For the last time, thank you for the life you led and all that you leave behind. You will never be forgotten. All my undying love, your brother, Clayton. I first met Rich Smalley on April 13, 2004. It was a lunch meeting with Jim Tour there on the campus in the faculty club. And Rick had just been attending our church for about three months. And we sat down for lunch. One of the first things Rick said to me was this. He said, Ben, when I first started coming to your service, I was repulsed. How did you really feel, Rick? (laughs) I knew right away I was going to like this guy. He then began to ask me questions in his bold yet humble way. It was the week after Easter. He'd just been to our Easter service, so the resurrection was fresh on his mind. So he said, Ben... Tell me, you said Jesus came back to life. What do you mean by came back to life? Brainwave, one heartbeat. You talked about Jesus having a resurrected body. Well, tell me a little bit about that resurrected body. and What did it consist of? What did it feel like? And we talked about continuity and discontinuity. I tried to unpack that. And then he asked a very simple yet profound question question that kind of capsulized his latest research project, or as he called, as he was quoted in one paper to say, his little adventure. And he asked me this, he said, you know, what I'm really trying to figure out right now, and when I first met Rick, he was in tip-top shape, his cancer was in remission. He said, I'm trying to figure out what, what makes Christianity so powerful. I was thinking, that's a fantastic question. So I was trying to explain the best I could to Rick why I believe Christianity was such a powerful force in the world and throughout the history of mankind. And as I was doing that, about that time, another gentleman in a beard sat right down at the table with us and said, I'm eating with you guys today. And I was thinking in my mind, who is this man? And the man in the beard said, Rick, what are you guys talking about? And he 
spouted off some long nanotech scientific language. I had no idea what he said. And Rick just calmly said, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about what makes Christianity so powerful. Common topic there at the Rice Faculty Club. And then Jim was so kind to say, Ben, this is our president, Malcolm Gillis. And uh, we had a great time that day at lunch talking and discussing all kind of matters um, there at the university. Rick's con uh, questioning continued and his journey continued. But as I got to know him, I quickly saw what really mattered to Rick Smalley. And I saw what he held precious, and I saw his loves and his passion. And First of all, I could see that Rick loved his family. And he wanted his family to work in a Rick kind of way. And he loved you, Debbie, so much. And your relationship was such a gift, such a mercy from God. And the time you guys spent together and the brief time you knew each other uh, seemed to be multiplied because of the highs and the lows and the joys and the pain and the tears and the laughter and the fun that you enjoyed together. You guys had a special relationship. And she told me the story early on uh, when they were dating that they had a meal at a place called Benji's. And at this meal, Rick decided it was time that he tell Debbie his life story. So he transitioned into that very low, soft, Rick Smalley voice where you have to lean over to figure out what he was saying. And so he proceeded the whole meal to talk in those tones. And Debbie said she smiled and agreed. And so after the meal was over, she went back home and emailed him and said, Rick, I really enjoyed the lunch at Benji's. I hope what you were telling was not important because I didn't understand a word you said. He loved Debbie. He was fully committed to Preston. He loved Preston and just loved having fun with him and loved playing with him and laughing with him. And they got hooked on phonics together and uh, was actually teaching Preston Calculus, eight-year-old son, and he was loving it and learning it. And um, they had a great relationship, a special bond. And no matter how hard and long Rick would work in the lab and the research, he would drop everything to be with his son. He was a passionate teacher. He was also teaching a Bridget, the alphabet. She was having problems with her LMNOP, and Rick helped her out there. Eva, he was helping you with his chemistry. And I love that. He was a teacher, and he was passionate wherever he went and with his family. Chad, I know he loved you very much, and it was so obvious in the time you guys spent together and the way you guys reconnected and the stories you told me about just how silly and funny your dad was growing up, aside that you don't see on the, on the bulletin there, the serious, passionate scientist, but he was a man who loved life and had a funny sense of humor and loved Looney Tunes cartoons and Mighty Python and 
he had that uh, infectious chuckle and that laugh uh, that we all miss. And you guys shared so much. Linda, his sister, came to him when he was fighting the cancer and asked him and said, Rick, don't you feel like giving up? And Rick said, no. We're going to walk through this thing together and we're all going to be changed. And we all were. Rick loved his family. And Rick loved his friends. Many of you here spent countless hours sweating, working, laughing, scrutinizing, trying to solve Mount Everest-like problems. And as you know, Rick loved every minute of it. He loved his colleagues. He loved his students. They spoke of him in glowing terms. One former student said, Working with Rick, it was exciting, as if we were flying to the moon. And indeed we were, taking some of the most challenging and important problems. But we never lost hope because Rick Smalley was with us. He had a penetrating visionary. He was he had a penetrating visionary, Lord of the Rings courage and the leadership that always inspired us to go forward. He loved his friends. He loved his colleagues. He loved his family at Rice and those around the world who shared his passion for science and helping make the world a better place. Rick also loved the future. That's what struck me about Rick so much. He was such a futurist and such a visionary, and he had a desire to take nanotechnology to the next level and to see its applications uh, in medicine, uh, also in energy and solving different environmental crises in the world to come. And he saw many things ahead, and he was preparing many people in the business realm, the government, as to what the problem was. But not only that, Rick was saying, here are some viable solutions. Rick had the crazy idea that someone who had a dream and a vision and the know-how and the team and the technology and the funding could literally change the world. And in many ways, God used Rick to do just that. He was full out, full on committed. Early on when he was researching in the field of nanotechnology and, and talking about what later would be called buckyballs, some skeptics were saying, they don't really exist. That's not really going to happen. And, of course, that did not deter the courageous Rick Smalley. He just kept digging, him and his colleagues, and kept working and kept sweating. You see, a cutting-edge scientist has the ability to see things that are unseen. He had that ability. And in the last part of his life, in those two years, year and a half, he took that same analytical mind as he investigated, or what he said, he reinvestigated Christianity and what made it so powerful. Debbie was a huge guide. He, he told me, Debbie, many times that you were my path. And your unconditional love for him and your support and your friendship really challenged him uh, to seek God in a serious way. As mentioned, I know Hugh Ross made a tremendous impact on Rick. They immediately connected and he respected Hugh's ability to answer his questions with such 
theological and scientific depth. Jim Tour, he loved Jim uh, as a friend and as a colleague. And I know after he heard Jim's message um, on reading the Bible and praying every day, that inspired Rick. Uh, that's what I loved about Rick. Rick was courageous, and yet Rick was humble. Those are rare qualities. He was bold, he would speak his mind, but yet he was humble and he was curious and teachable. So Rick took this Bible right here after he heard Jim's message. And for about a year or so, he woke up at 5.30 in the morning and took this Bible that he stole from Debbie. Stolen Bible. That's Rick. And he read it, beginning with Genesis and going all the way to the end, the book of the Revelation. And he said the more he read it, the more convinced he was of the truth and the intellectual veracity revealed in Scripture. It amazed him, but he boldly pursued that. It was sometime during that time that Rick made the transition from simply believing in God as a creator and as a force to really trusting him, trusting in Christ as a Savior and Lord. And like C.S. Lewis and other seekers who have gone before Rick, I think he was born again head first, (laughs) and then the heart caught up, and that was Rick. I think he could concur with the Apostle Paul who said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Towards the end, last week and a half, two major breakthroughs in Rick's life. One was in research in the lab. They had been trying to do something for over a year now, trying to create these bucky tubes or lengthen them through planting of seeds. I'm sure I'll be corrected afterwards, but it was something of that nature. And they did it about a week and a half before Rick passed. But of course, that doesn't mean anything unless you can replicate it. So about two days before Rick passed, it was replicated. So they went up to the hospital, and Rick saw wired up and has the thing, the oxygen mask on his nose, and they explained to Rick what had happened. And Rick just kind of grunted. And I love that. He was working. He was passionate about his science until the very end. That was the first breakthrough. The second breakthrough was the night before he died. He got up and he started speaking. And this is a direct quote. He said, beautiful, beautiful Jesus. As if he saw him in the room. That was the second breakthrough. And the next day at 1.30, surrounded by friends and loved ones and colleagues and all kind of people, Rick went home. And I'm sad. <laughs> and still a little mad. Why? I don't know. But I know that Rick is home. And I know that our lives have been enriched because we knew Rick.
If he were here today, what would he say to us? What would he say to his colleagues, to his students, to those in the scientific community? I think he'd probably look at the clock right now and probably say, all right, get back to work. Let's get on with it. To quote Rick, he would say, use your brains, be great in scholarship, and in ferreting out truth. And then I believe if Rick could speak today from his new perspective, he would talk to Debbie and Chad and Preston and the family, and he would transition back into that soft, hard-to-understand Rick Smalley voice (laughs) and say, be strong and courageous because the Lord, your God, is with you. And then perhaps he'd sit back in his analytical way and chuckle and say, oh, by the way, heaven is a great place. Bucky balls, they're still great, but a little bit overrated. <laughs> Heaven's a great place. And you know what? Perhaps he would say, I found out for sure what makes Christianity so powerful. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, dear God, we cry out to you today. God, we thank you for Rick, for the privilege of knowing him Lord, I thank you for the way he has touched our lives and the lives of so many, many people, the way he will continue to impact this city and this nation and this world as his legacy, his courageous, humble spirit is passed on through his sons, through his family, through his friends and students and colleagues that are here. Lord, I thank you that not only did Rick pursue you, but that you pursued him. God, we already miss him. We miss him from our perspective. We miss him. And yet we know He's experiencing more joy, more challenge, more discoveries than he ever dreamed possible. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll ask you to stand and sing Amazing Grace with me.
you and may he keep you, may shine the light of his countenance down upon you. May you walk in his peace and his grace and his love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you to remain standing for just a few moments, please. You're invited to join the family and friends in the deacon's parlor, out these doors, and to your right. Thank you. 